1: I'm mm-hmm.
2: Welcome to another Esports Moment. I'm Seamus Byrne. This here is a bit of a special episode, I guess. Uh, You'll notice I've been away for a little while, uh, if you've been keeping an eye on the feeds. Uh, I've basically been sort of between, I guess we call it seasons these days, don't we? But uh, a lot of sort of other things going on, which meant I've taken a bit of a break from the show. Uh, But down at PAX Australia, uh, which took place uh, last weekend, which was mid-October, we held a special panel as part of a lot of that event uh, which we called a gift for esports finding if someone has what it takes managed to get together a really cool group of experts uh, from pro gaming through to psychology to discuss this whole idea of the fact that I guess a lot of kids teens and even adults are sort of chasing that dream of esports glory now there's been so much attention in mainstream press with a lot of the big prize money on offer these days Uh, and yeah clearly it's a very exciting opportunity but whether you're a parent or an esports star in training uh, it's quite difficult to sort of make sure that you're you're thinking about how you shift gears from just playing games to really training for success Um, and searching for that idea if you kind of can work out how do you know if you're going to have what it takes to go all the way so the panel that I put together was uh, Jocelyn Brewer. Uh, she is a teacher, a psychologist, and an academic, and she has some great concepts around the idea of digital nutrition. Then we had Brendan Defina. He's a former professional League of Legends player, and now the general manager of professional League of Legends team Gravitas. And then Andrew Kinch, who is the founder of Game Aware. It's an Australian organization that educates on pursuing games in, I guess, the right ways. And removing that sense of playing out of habit, and instead playing in positive ways as part of a balanced lifestyle. So, you had some great, great perspectives on pursuing this, and I think that word "balance" is is challenged in interesting ways at times during this discussion, which I think is really great. I think there's a lot to unpack when it comes to really pursuing something with passion without losing the rest of your life in the process. But clearly, some some trade offs have to be made if you if you're chasing that idea of being the best. So let's uh, jump on in uh, at the moment where I introduce the panel. Um, so I'll quickly do the intro of the panel. We have Andrew Kinch, we have Jocelyn Burr, and we have uh, Brandon Defina, uh, better known as Juves in many circles. Um, but uh, Andrew, do you want to give yourself a quick intro and then we'll pass it down the panel for that?
3: Sure. Um, so I'm the founder of GameAware. And I guess the main thing that we do is we uh, try to get families and gamers hitting the sweet spot. So I work mostly with teenagers. Um, I'd like to expand that in either direction with younger and older as well. But uh, finding the sweet spot is basically where you're you're optimizing your gameplay, you're enjoying your gameplay, you're still getting good if you want to get good, Uh, but it's also you're meeting your, I guess, psychological or motivational needs better in real life, and then gaming kind of becomes the icing on the cake. Now, that might shift a little bit when we're talking about esports, but for, for most of the families I work with, then that's that's what the goal is. And also to get parents to understand what's going on.
4: Hi everyone, I'm Jocelyn. I am a high school teacher turned psychologist and I have a philosophy called digital nutrition, which is all about how can you kind of take all the best bits of technology and um not need to digital detox. I have a little TED talk which t- looks at whether maybe gaming are digital superfoods. So I got into this about 10 years ago um, and I was interested at the time about whether or not games are really addictive and I went, no, I think there's a lot more benefit to that. So I work sometimes in private practice with kids who are looking at to become um, esports pros and also with kids who are having problems with getting to school because they're gaming too much. So very broad space I'm in.
5: Uh, yeah, so, my name's Brandon. Um, I was a professional player for four years, I think. Yeah, four years. Um, League of Legends. And, uh, now I'm the general manager of Gravitas, which is a, uh, League of Legends team in the professional league. So, um, yeah, I've been in like the esports, I guess, realm for multiple years. Um, yeah. Awesome. So, I wanted to open with, I think, a good broad,
2: Uh, first question for all panelists can uh, respond, but I'll start with you, Brandon, and then we'll sort of work back across the table. But what do you feel like is the most important thing that young folks, that parents,
5: that families need to know about taking esports seriously? So I think the first thing is that um, it requires the same amount of discipline, if not more than it would traditional sports like soccer, footy, um, basketball, where um, you need to look after yourself out of game. And so like for us, it was our players went to the gym every day um, and that was like something we set so they could like, I guess, be physically healthy and then uh, that translates to being like healthy in-game and playing well in-game. Um, so I think, yeah, like for me, it's the biggest thing is it's the discipline. When you talk about the discipline, um, how it requires you to play your games um, and then step back and study your games and step back even further and look at other people's games from around the world, I think there's a lot like, yeah, if, if you're not disciplined, you will fall, I guess, behind.
4: Uh, I think there's a really big gap between what parents understand around eSports and gaming in general and what kids do, and that creates a really big divide that then creates some problems between the relationship and invalidating a young person's desire to play. Um, and we really want to bridge those relationships and help parents understand what's a complex space. It's not like we were talking about swimming, you know you've just got to get to the other end of the pool as quickly as possible, and it's pretty easy to work out whether or not you're good at that, whereas with eSports there's so many um skills that are acquired. To, to actually get there and so many leagues and different ways to get there. So I
3: think that's mm-hmm.
4: a, a big challenge. Yeah.
3: yeah. So. Um, I'd say I had a chance to speak to Brandon a bit before and and uh, both of us have had a chance to play some high level sport and um, probably trained with people who did GoPro as well in, yes. in, in regular sports, traditional sports. And one thing I'd say is that uh, what people need to understand is that there's a massive shift from being really good at something to doing it for money mm. and the kind of, pressure and stress and lifestyle, uh, stuff that goes with that. And I guess from my perspective, um, being able to make the connections between what that looks like and what well-being looks like is really important.
2: Awesome. That's a great starting point. So, um, Jeeves, I thought I'd sort of jump back to you here and, uh, and everybody can then get involved in the discussion from here, but I think the idea of training versus playing, I'm curious on your thoughts here on how does someone shift mindset towards, (laughs) Really pursuing excellence and not just, uh, if I play more rounds,
5: I'll eventually get good, won't I? Yeah. So, um, I think it comes down to two things. It's the competitive drive, like, of that person or, or that kid. Um, so I know for me, as an example, when I started playing, it was, uh, I went from playing normal games with friends and, like, that's all, that's all good. That's fun. But then I had this thing in me where, like, I just had to play, like, ranked and, like, I wanted to be, like, the best if I, and if I could. Um, so like for me, that was like kind of a, I guess like a mind, mindset shift. Um, and then the other thing was like, it was then about, uh, after every game, like looking at it and being like, how, how can I get better? Like, what, why am I not the best now kind, kind of thing? So yeah, for me, it's just like a, a, like almost like a mentality shift of wanting to be the best. Um, for me, that was like the difference between, you know, just playing for fun, playing with friends to, um, yeah, going pro. Yeah, absolutely.
4: I'm going to bring it back to brain development in young people because ultimately we're looking at um, a brain that's not fully developed, not fully wired up, and the part of the brain that's going to be doing the playing and the strategy is a part that actually Um, I'm going to use the handy brain model, sorry to the neuroscientists in the room, but this is your emotional brain and this is your cognitive brain. And we actually, this is what we're trying to wire up, takes till about 25. And um, this part of the brain actually needs a lot of work so we can practice regulating our emotions and all of the soft skills so it's not just that cognitive stuff. So I think we need to get the balance right around it's not just about lots of playing and that grinding and all those things we were talking about a little bit earlier, but actually you still need to do the exercise, you still need to kind of learn to relate to people and do the debrief and all of those other things and that's um you know our program it's not just the practice it's again you know i use the swimming analogy all the time because i was thrown in the pool and had to swim up and down a (laughs) lot and that was all you kind of had to think about um at the time so you know in team sports there's a lot of other um aspects of brain development that you need to practice that isn't just you know play play play
2: yeah i mean andrew um I'd love your thoughts here on that, that balance between getting carried away versus getting that balance right. Um, you know, what are some of your perspectives on on that whole issue?
3: Um, well, I just had a thought before as well with yeah, regards yeah. to this. I think that when it comes to training versus playing, performance is one thing and playing is another. Training is another nice. as well. But um, it's, what, it's, it's very important, again, like what you're doing when you're not playing to build up all sorts of other things. I mean, a personal example was with beach volleyball. Um, yeah, I could be, tr- I wasn't necessarily overtraining, but let's say I was training a lot and it was regular. You kind of, you get the the habit of training, you habituate, you get the tunnel vision, right? And if, uh, if I got sick or if I got forced to step away for a week or so, I'd come back. It's like, I couldn't make a mistake. It was really weird. And I, that was counterintuitive to me because I thought more was better. Um, the other thing that I think is really important to understand, especially with esports is mental fatigue and, and what you're doing yeah. off field is really important and like I've read articles about, you know, Federer, for example, sleeping twelve hours a day, building in naps and recovery time, not just for his muscles, but for his focus. Yeah. And Kobe being on a Kobe Bryant being on a nap schedule where he might wake up at, I don't know what, five thirty in the morning, had to make eight hundred makes into the basket, and then it might be time to go back to bed and then wake up, have breakfast, go to the gym, go back to bed. And it's if you're really serious about this kind of stuff, you really need to talk about the overall performance of your body and mind.
4: Yeah. Mm. And that's what I mean about that cognitive stuff versus the emotional stuff. You've got to get that right. And we think we're rest resistant as a culture in general. And getting sleep in there is super important for absolutely everyone, especially that developing brain that's smashing out, you know, so much, trying to process so much information. We've never, as a, you know, race, had to process as much information as we do in a day. And if you're gaming, that's even more of a um, cognitive load that you have to sleep to clear out the mental cobwebs. Yeah. Literally. And exercise, that helps as that well.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, one thing actually just that fits in here as well, um, Juves, I'd love your thoughts on because uh, Jocelyn mentioned debriefing. Yeah. And I think that is something that is so important is like watching back a game you've played, learning from what you've already done and that willingness to kind of analyse yourself uh, while you're playing, not just think, well, if I just get in and get in another round, it's
5: going to be better than mm-hmm. if I watch back what I just did. So I think uh yeah, when authors do, it's very hard to sometimes look at your performance and then think, Oh, I could have done better there or I did something wrong there. It's almost like a a kick to your ego, I guess, looking <laughs> at it and being like, I could have done better. Um But yeah, debriefing um is wait, can you what was the question? Yeah, <laughs> so just you know, on, I
2: guess how much time you guys spend in a pro team. Yeah. yeah um spending in debriefs and reviewing and things like that.
5: Yeah. So when i was when i was playing when i was a pro player like the i guess the best that i ever played was not necessarily playing like you said more maps or more rounds it was more taking a step back like looking at the looking at the game and and sometimes it was playing less but it was reviewing more and so as a, in a team when you're playing most of the time you'll step away for 20 30 minutes um and you'll look at stuff as a team you'll talk about it um and that's like yeah that's improvement by not playing so i think there's like a like there's like two routes, and it's like, yeah, getting your 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 amount of games in, but also, yeah, stepping back and looking at it for what it is, and and being, I guess, like self-critical. Yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, Andrew, I was asking you about
2: that, you know, that balance of getting carried away, um, versus getting that balance right, whether it's like health and school and friends and esports fitting into that.
3: I think the best way I can answer that is um, we all are motivated by certain things. I always like to talk about this self-determination theory. So you want to get good at stuff, if I'm going to summarize it. You want to have some self-direction and you want to be connected to other people or something bigger than yourself, right? And video games are kind of designed around this. And that's a good thing in many ways. Um, But if you're trying to fill those three cups in your life only through video games, it'll never fill up, not not to the, the maximum, right? That's why I kind of talk about it like it's the icing on the cake. It's just, it's not good enough. But if you're indulging too much time, um, that's when, so if you're getting carried away because maybe you've got a, you know, a dream of becoming a pro, but you don't know cause you're young and you're vulnerable, like whether it's video games or not, young know, people are vulnerable. That's kind of what this conversation is about. Right. Um, and, and if you, if you don't have that education on, you know, a bit of, uh, understanding yourself, understanding your own motivators, then it's very difficult to manage your play time to improve as quickly as you can to set yourself to train rather than just indulge in the game and just play
2: if you know yeah it. um jocelyn one thing around i guess family dynamics is is important mm-hmm. here right so yeah what are some of the ways parents or family members or friends you know can support and encourage people who are making that choice to try to start pursuing this stuff in a more serious way how to um you know how did they assist in that process of doing it the right way
4: yeah, so really understanding what the game is and how it happens. So I think a lot of parents that I work with and probably not parents in this room necessarily are like, oh, I don't really get games. Can you go and do your games over there like <laughs> just for an hour a day or whatever? So really understanding the game mechanics and, and Andrew and I talk a lot about it's not like the soccer field where you can kind of, um, you know, you've got distinct quarters. You can't just run in and go five more minutes when you're like in the middle of something. Um, again, that that validation of that um, the young person's dreams Around these things, as if it was, you know, in the same way they might legitimise a real sport, um, and yeah, building building relationships around that. So, um, yeah, just a lot of communication, I guess, generally in parenting teenagers is, is required. These sports or not? So, if
5: I if I could add on to that, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty blessed with my mum. Was like very invested into my career choice, I guess, um, and. Yeah. I built a very, very, very strong relationship with my mum just because she like she took a big interest in what I was doing. So she jumped on like social media, uh, she watched the games, she asked me questions, she tried to learn. Um and yeah, like my, I I would say my mum is like my my best friend. I mean not to say we didn't have a great relationship before that, but it it's like uh now it's we, we genuinely like put the TV on sometimes and watch an esports event. So um like to add on to that, like, yeah, building that relationship with your child, understanding what they're doing, I think you can create, like, some very memorable moments. And, like, for me, some of my best moments with my parents is because, and with esports or gaming, not even necessarily esports, but just gaming. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. Um, Andrew, uh, I think, yeah, we might
2: get into some specific yeah. thoughts here, but, you know, one of the things I loved from, uh, from the Fortnite World Championship this year was seeing uh, one of Booger's interviews, you know, this is a 16-year-old just won his $3 million prize pool um, and seeing his parents asked about sort of how they, you know, how they manage this. And for them, they said they just set a simple rule, which was, okay, you go for it as hard as you want, but the second your school grades slip, it's over. And, you know, a relatively simple framework, but he kind of had a clear idea and it meant, you know, he'd spend his lunchtimes doing his homework. He kind of knew that, okay, I have to now set that structure so that I don't, do anything that ruins school and then when i get home i can start kind of pushing hard in this um you know that's clearly just one example and you know the the classic thing of uh, an example of someone who has succeeded versus (laughs) the many many more people who don't but uh yeah what are some of your thoughts around scheduling or limit setting or other kind of rules that people can help to kind of get that framework right so it's
3: the first thing i would always say is you know once you get old enough to kind of understand you know yeah i'm gonna give this a shot um need some kind of business plan with a timeline. Yeah. <laughs> because if you don't, and it, this goes for streaming as well, if you don't, if you're just like, this is going to pay my bills, right? I hope. you know, like, Then That's really tough. It's really hard to be a streamer right now, I would say, uh, if you weren't an early adopter. So, um, in, in anything like that, if you've got a business plan and it makes sense and you've got the results to back it up, then you've got something that you can pursue. But if you're just blindly playing a lot, hoping, then that's a whole different story. Um, so yeah, the idea of um, plan B need, there needs to be a plan B, uh, sorry, plan a that comes before plan B. And then when it comes to, to competing in, in anything, and anything, it works the same way with any professional sport as well. The difference of course, is that because we get tired, we can't play those professional sports, you know, 10 hours a day or whatever we're doing. So it's, it's the same, but it's different. Um, and I think, I think that, Coming down to numbers, we've been talking about numbers. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be difficult to talk about how much time you can dedicate to it. But my opinion is that you need days off, whether it's one or two days off, mm-hmm. maybe even three days off, depending on where you're at, what your age is, what you're doing. Um, and I think that creates the space. It's <clears throat> not only like rest yourself cognitively, but also to expand yourself in different directions. And the variety of learning that you can have through different experiences will also add to how you perform. I would say.
4: Yeah. And, and you know, the number that we do know is that you have 24 hours in a day. That's the only number we can say for certain. And we know that you need to sleep a certain amount in order to get that um, cognitive refresh in order to play well. So kind of even with that question with um, debriefing versus playing, debriefing and working out what you need to do better and then playing to those principles and incorporating that is really much more valuable than just kind of smashing out more games without having – done the metacognition, so they're thinking about the thinking or they're thinking about the strategy. So a lot of sports psychology just builds into to this where, you know, we talk about balance and I call bullshit on balance because balance is kind of like, ooh, how do I balance things and keep things balanced? Um, it's about the blend and different people will need different things. Some people will be kind of naturally more sporty or, or things like that where you can then go for a run and that cleans your mind and some people only do need to sleep seven hours a night, not nine or ten, so really kind kind of toying with some of those metrics and, and working out works, what works for you, I think is, um, yeah, the big unknown, but a, a part of that process.
2: Mm. Um, Jeeves, one, yeah, they, clearly in all sports there is such a thing as overtraining. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people do think that, well, if I just play 12 hours a day, I'm going to get better eventually, um, you yeah, know, and – There is also a question here, I'm sure, you know, Andrew can bounce off this after uh, Brandon first talks, but the, uh, you know, what's your approach to gravitas when it, uh, when it comes to training schedules, Uh, but then clearly there's also that difference between people who are now professional versus people who are trying to pursue you know, and you don't want to necessarily do the same thing. But what, what is it sort of like for you guys at Gravitas?
5: Yeah, so um, at Gravitas, obviously, I, I mentioned this before, but the a very important thing that we implemented um, was that, like, it is a re- mandatory requirement that our players go to the gym um, because, like, there's copious amounts of research that, say, if you're exercising and you, you're maintaining kind of that physical aspect of your life, then you're going to be performing better cognitively. And I think, like, in most of esports or gaming is, like, that cognitive function. Um So, yeah, it was like mandatory, like that they went to the gym. And then you'll find that there's certain players that, yeah, you set like, say, the three times that they go to the gym, but then they'll end up just going six times because they, they found out that they really love it. Um, and so it was, yeah, so we'd have our training. Um, then there's like that, there's like a mandatory break in between. Um, and then they'd have their training again in the afternoon. Um, and then after that, like we didn't enforce you must play more games. Um, you kind of leave it up to the individual or the professional because that's what they are—they're professionals. They'll know when they need more or they'll need less. Um, and yeah, it was—it was basically a lot of our focus was just on that physical and like making sure that they actually weren't just like overworking. And I think it's a, yeah, when you when you get to that professional level, a lot of players kind of know what overworking is and overworking isn't in terms of like their self. But um, I guess for someone, and, it, and it's even that question, like for someone that that's starting or, or wants to make that transition. I guess to going professional, whether they're like the 13 or 14-year-old, um, it's such like we were talking about this before, it's such an individual thing. I don't think like there's a – I'll say that there's like a blanket, you must play six hours and then you'll be the best. Um, like there's I don't I don't have a number, but I think what the thing that I do have is like the quality of your practice is far more important than the 16 hours or 14 hours or 10 hours you can put in. Like if you're playing – if you're very motivated and you've set your focus for this game that you're going to play – that one game could be worth more than the four hours that you've played because you've got time to sink and you're just going to sink that time into the game. So, yeah, like number numbers, no, I don't have numbers. But what I have is like ensuring that your practice has direction and you have like the the path to what you're trying to achieve, I guess.
4: And I think that's where the parents kind of become the spotter for like, you know, you can't make those decisions if you're 13 or 14 or whatever, but parents can say, well, this amount of play after you've had this amount of exercise or kind of, you know, what other pieces of the jigsaw have to fall into place in order for that to happen. And again, there's no playbook for this. So parents, you know, really struggle with, well, you know more about this than I do. So, okay, let's, let's try that. But kind of Mm. getting clear on some of those things might be helpful.
2: Yeah. But yeah, I know we'd sort of talked a little bit offline as well about sort of this whole grind aspect that people, Mm. um, you know, that is a real struggle in the industry at the moment. And so, yeah, I know you have sort of some thoughts on that.
3: Well, I guess one thing I'd say is that at the casual level, which is most gamers, right. Um, you, I mean obviously somebody who's trying to become a pro is going to have to invest, right? And that's the same thing with any sport. At the casual level, you know, you go to work or you go to school, you come home, you're tired. You've invested a lot of your mental energy into that day. And so the amount of time that you can concentrate and enjoy and perform if the type of game you're playing is, you know, multiplayer competitive game or something as opposed to some narrative you know, enjoyable single-player game. It's a bit different. One would be like a calming activity. One would be an excitatory one. Um, you, I don't think you can concentrate for hours and hours on end, especially when you don't have them have that many hours at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you can kind of get limited by how you feel. When you start to get frustrated or you notice you're not performing, you're not tuning in, it's probably time to check out. Um, but in terms of like for parents at a casual level, I usually recommend, and again, you know, hours, whatever. I would say four days a week. You can judge the hours a bit more on that concentration time. And you know, you can go five if you want, you can go three if you want, it doesn't matter. What it comes down to is making space and understanding once again, are you trying to meet all of your needs through video games or are you trying to meet some of them? And you've got all sorts of other different ways to fill up your cup, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, one of the other things I think, uh, back to you, uh, Brandon is around, uh, some of the other things that people can do to actually try to pursue things. I know, you know, your background is specifically League of Legends, but I think there's sort of some broad themes here that I'm curious about from your perspective is, you know, uh, is watching other people's matches useful, is reading strategy guides, is even, you know, I I know some of the uh, guys from the Fnatic team uh, for Rainbow Six Siege talk about using these completely separate, like, aim tools that they just literally practice clicking um, as part of that thing of you know, trying to focus really specific skill sets so um, you know, what do you think are some of those things that can be helpful to people outside of the game
5: yeah um, so without going into specifics there's obviously a lot of games that have like practice tools I guess and that's kind of a far more casual you can just hone a skill um, and that is like in game so I won't, I won't talk about in game too much but out of game like you said like um, if, uh, if you were trying to focus on a champion or trying to focus on a certain thing like then guides can be useful I would say like they're not the most useful but I think for the most part is like generally just watching someone that's better than you and I think that doesn't take like uh take like the most out of you um just watching a VOD or watching a pro player or watching something um is probably the the most efficient way that I've found players improve and I think um a lot of players that I've spoken to they improve the most when they're actually mixing it up and, and, and watching VODs. So yeah, there's no like guides, guides are good. Guides are okay. Um, watching VODs, I think are like super important. And then reviewing your own games is also super important because they're like two things, right? Watching a VOD, um, or watching a a video of another professional is one thing, but then watching your own is another. So I think it's important to like have that distinction between the two. So yeah, maybe those three things, I guess that's that's what I've seen. Yeah. Um, And Jocelyn, around, I think the idea of community is really good to
2: explore Mm -hmm. here too, right? So, um, you know, meeting people to work together with not just kind of, not always just jumping in a solo queue maybe, but (laughs) trying to find other people that makes it a more kind of social environment and experience, right?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, the whole point of a lot of um, multiplayer games and team games is that you kind of develop those bonds. so. Uh, I'd like to see, you know, parents do that, parents of gamers you know, get online and actually hang out together and um, chat through some of those things and, and creating that community.
2: And, yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and what about sort of the, the whole kind of local uh, types of competitions? You know, I think we're seeing all these kind of high school mm, leagues starting yeah. to emerge. Um, yeah. you, know, I'd, you know, personally I'd love to even see, you know, grassroots in the same way that we yeah. see with soccer, you know, that your local town might have a team that you could go and Sign up to things like that yeah. would be would be great
4: absolutely, and I think that's one of the things that parents find really confusing is where do we go and where's the like local amateur football club like it, it doesn't exist in that same way and and for us older people we're used to kind of physical stuff, so um i don't I don't have the answer to that yeah <laughs> I'm it's not old really, now I'm not really <laughs> don't have time in my schedule to 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 create that, but I would love to you know see how that would would happen. Maybe GameAware can do that.
3: Maybe. I'm actually really excited about the idea of the the high school eSports leagues because a few reasons. One is that if you have a teacher, well, right now, I think a lot of this is just like a teacher supervising it. But if those teachers get skilled up, then you can also uh, do proper coaching. You can teach them specifically with game stuff. Maybe they can bring in some guest Mm -hmm. speakers or whatever they got to do, or they learn the game. Um, that may not be the most valuable thing. It might be more about how to hit that balance and how to make sure that it's not just if you don't perform in school, you're off the team. Like, how do we invest our time the best way we can, like playing with purpose.
4: Yeah, and it gets so tricky, I guess, because of the politics around gaming and video games um, that a lot of principals don't get it and won't take it on. Um, I know that in New South Wales even the Learn With League has had a lot of pushback from the department, um, which is really unfortunate. I think some of the, the like Learn With League especially is not necessarily about esports and going professional but more about um, some of the social emotional skills that gamers have and bringing those back into the real world to apply to, you know, maybe social anxiety or kids who might have um, high functioning autism spectrum um, sort of traits and things like that. So, yeah, schools, I think I would love to see it happen in schools. That makes sense. But teachers are massively, unless you get, you know, an Andrew Kinch in your school, in which case you'd be very lucky, <laughs> it's really, really hard for teachers to take on more and more and more. Um, you you kind of need a, a teacher gamer
5: for that. On the, um, yeah, on the grassroots, I would say, like, uh, like we spoke about before, like Meta, um, doing the high school league. Um, I don't know the numbers, but I know they had some, like, very good participation in their tournaments. Um, and I would say, like, kind of, I guess that is the side of grassroots. I know with Gravitas and with us, like, we, parted, we partnered with a, a community group, and this is specific to League of Legends, uh, Sumner Society, where, like, we were trying to support them, I guess, create tournaments, um, and have, the next generation of players come through and it was more, it was a community where people that just shared that common interest in the game could go be a, yeah, be a part of something, um, participate in tournaments and, um, get their name out there. And so I think like, yeah, these groups like Meta, these groups like Sumner Society and things like that are a, a, like a healthy way for kids to integrate into like, I guess the teamwork aspect. Cause I, th- I think a lot of people that join, well not a lot of people, but pe- the kids that join that, um, may not necessarily be playing sport and that's fine, but in that environment they get to learn the, the basics of like communication, um, discipline, um, giving feedback to your teammates. And so everything you learn in traditional sports, you get in those kind of meta of Society grassroots environments. So yeah, it's like about how we can like push them out even further mm-hmm. into like, and making, making them more accessible to everyone.
3: So looking at the room here, I think I kind of know the answer, <laughs> but hands up if you've played in a land before. Okay. There we go. And you know the difference, right? Come on. Lands are the best. And the thing is, there's so many kids, 12 to 18, coming through my programs that have never done that. The land in my program is the first one they've done. And they don't know, right? And that's, again, another, Mm -hmm. especially with esports becoming so popular, having places like Meta and other high school esports leagues out there give that opportunity, whether they want to become pro or not, to play socially and have all those benefits Mm -hmm. that Brandon's just talking about.
2: I mean, look, and that's something I think that's worth talking a little bit about now as well, right? Is that uh, someone might play through their teenage years and they have a little bit of that dream there, but it doesn't, you know, it just it doesn't come through. But that there is still so much value in, you know, having been part of a team in that way, in the yeah. in the same way that uh, that people do from other kinds of sports as well, right?
5: Well, yeah, a lot of um, a lot of people that I've met through my I guess my esports journey, and even just to like make it real basic, like, they'll be my friends for life. So even if, like, that's the worst thing that came out of it, I guess, like, you know, like, I've got some friends for life, or if that's sort of, like, the only thing that came out of it, you know, that's still something, like, I guess, that, that's really, like, beneficial. Um, so, yeah. Mm. All right.
4: I mean, even in the Australian curriculum, there's all of these different capabilities. So yeah, literacy and numeracy, but then critical, creative thinking, ethical understanding, all of these other things. And we really struggle to work out as teachers, how do we teach that? And games actually teach that. Games teach you all the social emotional learning that you need, um, and some of the executive functions and all of those things. And that's where the benefits really kind of lie. I teach first year university students and I'm constantly (laughs) needing to teach them critical and creative thinking. And sometimes, you know, playing a game is the best way to illustrate some of those things. So, yeah, we're in this kind of really interesting place where we don't know what to do with games and how to harness that really great aspect because there's this big, horrible cloud around, you know, all the other issues that keeps swamping all of, you know, the positives.
2: Yeah. Um, I thought we'll touch on one more kind of (laughs) curly aspect um, before we sort of talk about some other sort of positive elements. But we've kind of had over the last few years this transition from – yeah, there was a model for a while where the pro teams would, you know, live in a team house and train in a team and like it was mm-hmm. just the, you know, they lived where they worked um, you know, versus now trying to sort of have a bit a better balance where there's like the place you you live and then you go to the office and those kinds of differences. Um, but, you know, I thought to start with you, Andrew, on that idea of separating, I guess, downtime from training time. Um, yeah, you know, how should people think about that at home? Uh, you know, not just once you've become the pro, but finding that way to separate these things out.
3: I don't know if you can relate to this, but I mean, I've heard that familiarity breeds contempt. (laughs) Um, No, but like when you bond with people in a house, for example, there's lots of good things that are going to come from that. But having your own time to yourself, especially if you're, you know, leaning towards being an introvert, you're going to need that time to recharge your batteries. Like I know if I'm, uh, overworked and between jobs, family, whatever, then it's actually alone time that recharges me. And if you're in your own house with, with all those guys all the time, you know, you need something to separate. And I think that if you do get a chance to commute to work, then that'll give you the opportunity to actually have a variety of experiences. You know what I mean? There's just a lot of commitment for esports right now.
5: Mm. Um, yeah, well for me living in, like I was, I lived in a gaming house. Um, the big thing was that I, I guess I enjoyed it and I had three things I guess that I had three I guess separations from my team so I was doing my my university degree while in the gaming house so like that was the one thing that I could separate and be isolated and read my journal articles and do whatever um the second thing was I went to the gym or I went to the park and I like kicked the ball around so like for me it was I was able to yeah I was able to separate or have a distinction between work and play and things like that um and I think like I think teams are really aware of, or orgs are really aware of that now. And that's why they're trying to implement certain, I, I guess, mandatory gym sessions and, or, uh, not necessarily team bonding activities, but, um, giving, giving players resources or allocating them resources and helping them find that thing or that hobby. Like, it's not necessarily like, I think people think teams or orgs put them into a gaming house and say, fend for yourselves and play, but that's not the case. It's like we, we often work with our players and it's trying to find something that they enjoy or if we have a young player that's kind of first time moved out of home, um, I guess take them under your wing a little bit and what do you, let's try doing this, let's try doing this. And then often they'll find something that I, even if it's just going to the park and reading a book but like finding that thing for that specific player that separates, I guess, their, them from their workplace. And I think that's a, that's a big thing that um, we tried to do this year with our like our younger players. Yeah,
2: um, another uh, sort of more positive angle to kind of explore is the idea that let's say you've you've done the esports thing, um, you've loved it, you're starting to notice you're not quite going to be on the top of the pile. Uh, there are clearly actually a lot of other things that you can do in this industry. Yeah. That means that you know it wasn't like you are oh, again. I think even. It, ever thinking of that idea that it's like you wasted the time. It's like it was, there's so much inherent value, but that there are other angles to get into the industry. Uh, I know plenty of casters out there often talk about the fact that they're like, yep, I loved playing. I realized I wasn't any good. Uh, I started practicing commentating instead. Uh, so there's lots of angles out there, right?
5: Well, maybe halfway through my career, I realized I wasn't very good. So I started <laughs> doing some casting, but no. Yeah, like um, you can do casting, uh, there 's so many people that I know that actually didn 't play professionally or even i guess get close to playing professionally that they 're doing they 're working full time as a graphic designer they 're working full time as a talent manager they 're working full time doing shout casting or casting um there 's so many or like even as far as like there 's people that have gone into like uh being game devs and and things like that so i don 't think there 's like a um, i think there 's just so many so many opportunities and so many i guess career paths you can go and even so um the amount of like I've had so many people varying in ages reach out to me about like just a, just a quick one, like graphic design work from like 13 to 18-year-olds to doing it because that's what they found to be their passion. So I don't think like, yeah, you don't have to become a professional to make your way in the industry. It's just like if you try it and it's not for you, that's fine, but there's pathways for everyone. Hmm.
2: Um, we're going to start questions in a moment. So we're going to set up the uh, two microphones in the – Two aisles. Um, I think I know there's one. There. Is there one? Yeah, there's yes. Okay, there's one both sides. I think if an enforcer can set it up so it's sort of pointing in the right direction, um, that'd be really awesome. Uh, but before we sort of jump into that, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, yeah. If you start queuing up, and then we'll be ready to shout out once uh, yeah once we get going. Um, but I guess the idea of you know, the old uh, focusing on one thing versus trying different things. Um, what do you feel like is a better path to find the best fit as a player for the thing that really sort of works for you?
5: Is it yeah,
2: sure.
5: Um,
2: oh, yeah. So just, you know, I guess, uh, well, you clearly were someone, I mean, did you play other games before you went, Oh, League of Legends is the thing I'm really good at, or was it just that that was the thing that you knew instantly? Um, or, you know, what was your approach to playing a bit of a bit of a mix of stuff before you then went, yeah, this is the thing I'm good at.
5: So I, very early on, I started playing just PlayStation and I think my dad was the one that got me into it. I was playing like Gran Turismo. Like, that's not even in the same ballpark as <laughs> League of Legends. Um, but then I just played, like I just played FIFA, I played Dota. I played like, I think I played like every title under the sun. And then um, it was really just like a group of friends that I had that decided just to go, come and play League of Legends. Like that that's the game that I played. Um, and then, You know, they kind of all started falling off and stopped playing, but then I realized that I really enjoyed the ranked and competitive environment, and I kind of just, I don't think I I had, I don't know when I realized that I had aspirations to go professional, but it was like one of those things where I just started signing up to tournaments, which is similar to like what we do with the Summoner Society group. I just um, started signing up to tournaments. I was like, wait, this is fun, and then I started winning some tournaments, and then I was like, "Uh, okay, like, maybe I, said, I just said to my mom, you know, mom, maybe I'll try and go professionally. And, um, yeah, she supported me and it was kind of, yeah, it was, I guess winning those amateur tournaments or grassroots tournaments was kind of the switch. I was always competitive. And even if there was no pre- professional like route for me, the fact that like, just the just competing even on just the solo queue ladder was fun. But the light bulb moment was, yeah, winning those tournaments.
4: And I'm interested too, though, you played soccer yeah. to a high level as well. So you had a physical taste for like that and then.
5: Yeah. So, yeah, well, long story short, um, I was playing soccer at a decent level and then I, I I got a lot of injuries. But then like when you're at home and you're not injured, it's you're, you're like home for like, Six, seven weeks, eight weeks, and there's no you're like doing nothing competitive. You're just watching your team play, and you just feel like you're missing out. Actually, it is. It's just FOMO. Um, And then the the League of Legends or the gaming really helped me, I guess, mentally because you know I'm watching everyone surpass me in my in my traditional sports, I guess. And the gaming allowed me to fill that I guess hole, and then it became something that I loved far more than soccer. and for, yeah, for me, I, like for me, I, I can't speak highly enough because that, that helped me a lot when I was going through that time.
3: Yeah, actually, I'm glad that you said that because you, you swapped from one way of filling that need for competence mm. to another. So, like, competence is like mastery, right? So, getting good, I suppose. But um, uh, that being the main motivator is kind of the point. And I think with esports, if you really like playing with your friends, sure, that's going to be involved, but competence is going to be the main thing. So, if you're trying to decide. You know, then, then you need to make sure that mastering or being the best at, at what it is is going to be your main motivator. Um, bringing it back to your question, uh, there was an interesting, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people have heard of the 10,000 hours idea. Uh, and there was recently, um, so 10,000 hours to master a skill. And there was recently something now uh, that uh, I think it was Daniel Epstein. Mm-hmm. Daniel Epstein basically comes up and says, actually, it's, it's, it's really coming down to variety. So the idea of specializing too young isn't great. So uh, in terms of like building a variety of movement patterns so that you can apply it to sports, Federer did it, lots of other people. However, it's interesting, and I don't know the answer here yet, um, because apparently where skill has to come before development, things like gymnastics, you need to do that first. And they mentioned chess. So that also makes me wonder if gaming from a young age is going to have a big part of that.
5: Yeah, well, I think we, was, we were actually talking about this before, and again, I don't have the answer. And this is pretty like just my observations. Again, take that for what it's worth. But like most of the players that are overseas now that I played with or I know, or like most of the players that were are really good at clicking their buttons, I guess in in a short sense, they started like they picked up the mouse and keyboard from a very young age. Like they were 13 years old and they were playing at a like a decent level. And a lot of players were like, "Oh, this guy's only 13. He'll probably be good one day." Um, Again, I don't know how many hours that that kid was playing. I don't know. I don't know much about them. But fast forward to them being eighteen, and they're overseas now, playing overseas, and like some big teams. And so, again, I've looked through like a list of players, and and the list of players, the ones that have the most potential or their most like X factor, so far, I think are the ones that actually picked it up younger. And then there was players like me who picked it up at a later age when they were like, I think I started playing when I was like seventeen or eighteen. So old. And and, um, super old like like me clicking my buttons wasn't my strong point my strong point was my leadership in game or like my communication in game um and it's almost sometimes i think oh what if i started at 13 or 14 and and picked up because i don't know if it's like where your fire and motor skills develop to a level in which like you can't get when you're 18 but i just think that's really interesting and food for thought um and that could also just be the physical talent of that particular person. Yeah. And that's again, yeah. we have talked
3: about right. this before, well, right? So with traditional sports, you can be super strong, have a big vertical jump, you can be tall, and that'll be a, a predeterminant. Like the AIS actually measures these things. And then maybe even if you don't know your uh at least with beach volleyball, even if you don't know how to play as good as some other people, they'll bring you in. So we it's it's very yeah, well six <coughs> foot eight with a three meter not three meter one meter vertical is you know what some of these guys can do Mm -hmm. and then they're like we'll teach you later (laughs) um where you know with gaming these are these are cognitive skills i mean sure there's some fine motor stuff absolutely and reaction time and all these things and it's just a lot harder to see right and a lot harder to measure well overtly anyway Mm -hmm. so yeah it's 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 interesting it's different
2: i mean one of my favorite um uh Counter Strike players, Carrigan. Um, he, you know, I know over the years he's uh, really been sort of a great team leader, and and uh, I I did get to interview him earlier this year when you know last year he was traded away from FaZe Clan, uh, and and in some ways it was because well you know the the specific stats of his success in game weren't looking that great. Mm-hmm. Um, after his trade away, the the team actually started playing much worse. Yeah because he's such a good team leader. Um, it feels like there's so many layers to what exactly do you bring to a team and also that can sometimes perhaps be something about the whole solo queue versus finding a team that you can work with and suddenly discover that you have the leadership skills that might make you a great
5: part of a team even if some of your other skills aren't quite as hot. Yeah, so a good example of that is, is a man in the crowd over there, Carbon. Yeah, he's a very good, like, me and him, (laughs) me and him, like, we, we share very similar, like, um, leadership, I guess, qualities. And, but we both came from like, traditional sporting backgrounds. And for our team, I guess, like, we were both kind of the, the, um, we didn't make, like, we didn't make the flashiest, I guess, of plays. Maybe I'll speak for myself and not him. Um, the flashiest (laughs) of plays and things like that. But, um, it was like when you took, uh, me out of the team or when you took Carbon or those players out of the team, and you could have replaced them for a more skillful player clicking the buttons, the teams didn't perform as well. And so yeah, I think it's like finding that balance of, um, communication, leadership, uh, being able to give criticism, but also take it. And because of that, like that stuff behind the scenes, you don't see that improves the team. And it's like speaks to what your conversation with Carrigan and, um, how important that's for me, how important like grassroots is. And like these, these high school things where you start from a young age, um if sports isn't your thing where you start to learn those qualities of like leadership and things like that because if you if you just do nothing i guess you could probably get lucky and have a great mentor or great parents and like you can learn that along the way but i guess this just enhances it for me
4: I guess it's, yeah, the dynamics and that blend of different skills and characteristics. So even like um, a classroom where you have a teacher, sometimes that classroom, one teacher will say, they're a horrible class. Mm -hmm. I can never control them. And another different type of teacher goes, they're great they're so interesting they ask these (laughs) questions they're a bit lacking so it really those dynamics of like even what what the coach brings and who coaches the coaches um Mm. you know some of us you know you have particular inherent traits and then a a lot of people spend a lot of money learning how to coach and lead and guide you know yeah so um yeah humans we're really interesting messy complex Complex. creatures aren't
3: (laughs) we and and just bringing it back again i think with um, what we're trying to achieve at Game Aware is like knowing yourself with Mm -hmm. your games and your motivations and stuff. Um, Well-being is really tied to this. And and being a generalist means basically that you're pretty good at a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and your self-confidence goes up. So physical sports is a big part of that. It could be creativity and music, whatever your motivators are. Um, But the more confident you are and the less mental noise there is and the more stable you are emotionally if you're competing at anything, Means that you're more likely to get into that ultimate performance state of a a flow state of getting in the zone, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's that's something we got to be very very careful of, and that's why I like the direction that esports seems to be going, where they're taking better care of athletes, or at least there's a movement for that, right? Because if you're not at your best self, then how are you going to drop into the zone? Like you can't force yourself in the zone, and a lot of people. We'll try, and as soon as you've got performance anxiety, you're immediately out of the zone, right? Because it's like complete immersion. You're not like your reaction time speed up; everything happens faster, but there's no thinking because you know you're you're, you're totally yeah in in
4: not in here. Yeah, to use my handy brain model again. <laughs> <laughs> I like the handy
3: brain model. Um, so I think that really, if we're looking to elevate, then it should be generating more and more information and education around how do we. Create the conditions to fall into the zone. How do we create that balance so we can do that? And then we'll see some truly amazing things more often, rather than mm-hmm. like from time to time. Where you're like, I mean, I'm, obviously these guys are amazing at this level anyway. But like, you know, like there's things that really like sit apart in your experience of watching these sports where somebody's done something like, how did they do that? There was no thinking involved, and 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 that's what we want to see a lot of, I think, as fans in any
2: kind of sport. Awesome. Is there anyone who does have a question? Uh, if not, we'll just keep talking about some stuff for <laughs> for a little bit longer. Um, but if there is... Uh, yeah. Yep, cool. There's someone coming down. <laughs> did it, did it, did it, did it. Oh, no. Price is right. is such an old <laughs> theme song nowadays. Most people don't even remember.
4: No pressure. Uh, can you hear me? Um, yeah. is, there a thing, is there talent scouts in esports and uh, what
2: sort of things or where do you look... For and new talent, do you look at like scrim results or tournaments, or
5: is there other places you look in too? Yeah, so um, I think it varies from game to game. Um, the, yeah, there's like I said, there's a lot of variables. Um, specifically with like Le- with League of Legends, if you have a specific game, I'm happy to talk about that. But with League of Legends, it's like you. Every team has a coach. Um, every team would have an analyst, and and then they'd have like general managers or managers, and often they'll keep like an eye on, I guess the 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 rank system and how they fluctuate and which players uh, I guess are doing well. Um, And then there's, there's like a, for, for a sporting term, there's like a VFL competition, like an AFL VFL competition. Um, And often you'll just watch the players in that VFL competition and see how they're going. Um, And then even so there's, there's a lot of teams, uh, there's, there's tournaments now below the VFL level uh, in which players are playing in and teams will keep an eye on those. And I think, I think also the important thing to mention is like sometimes the onus is also on the player. Like the player can network, the player can add people, the player can be uh forthcoming to the organization with like whatever they're, I guess, offering as a player, whether it's like their their rank, uh, the the skill set they bring to a team. So I think it's yeah, it's a two-way street. So to answer your question, yes, there's scouts, yes, there's people looking at leaderboards and things like that but the a bit of advice i would give to players or people that want to go pro it's yeah build relationships um don't be afraid to reach out to teams and yeah make yourself known become a presence and, and just quickly it, yeah. that's
2: that's what i've noticed too a few up and comers they say hey i'm good at x game yeah like okay everyone's good at this mm-hmm. game what's what makes that person different to someone else well yeah to, in, in regards and let, let me clarify yeah like this i would see a lot of people coming up to esports teams and saying me hey Pick me,
0: pick me,
5: pick me! I'm really good
0: at this game,
2: yeah. and I just see so many. So I think like
5: that. the quick answer for that in in Australia and maybe even overseas now, it's like you can be good, but if you can offer like a, a almost like a social media presence or a content like if you if you're creating content as well and and things like that and and like giving yourself that bit of separation, then that's just like a, another tick to your name, and I think teams and people will take. Will take kindly to someone that's going that extra step to develop their brand because, like, even if you're if you're a really good player, like that's your brand. So then, what are you doing, like, to also push that?
1: It's Um,
4: it's also then thinking beyond that career as well. So even you know traditional sports, you still have to think about what are you going to do after you have that injury or you finish the Olympics and you retire and those sorts of things. So it's really that kind of like the extension of that plan B when plan A actually comes to its natural conclusion that there's other things. So I always talk to young people about what's your special source, whether you're going for the job at Christmas and you've got the CV where you're in new 10 and you haven't done anything, but go to school, what else are you doing? Who are you? What sets you apart? Um, so thinking about, you know, that identity stuff. Yeah.
3: Cool. There's actually a really good episode of insight that kind of references <laughs> what you're talking about, yeah. which was not game on, but game over. Yeah. Uh, two part one about pro uh, athletes and what it was like, afterwards mm. and you know if you don't have that special thing then it's really really difficult There was somebody in the audience who i think became an olympic athlete and maybe they didn't win the gold or whatever but they also had a passion somewhere else mm. and their well-being is great yeah. um but some of the athletes on stage were very very vulnerable um and and like lauren jackson was one of them for example and mm. talked about what it was like afterwards and it wasn't great like plan b is super yeah. important if esports was your plan a cool. or any sport
2: well like question mm. over this side um uh, I just wanted to ask if you guys think there's such a thing as um, too early and or if there's such a thing as too late, like when is when early is too early and when late is too late, what do you think?
4: Um, so I would be like, oh, it's, it's a really tricky one because I think it's about the content of the game. So obviously we have ratings on some games and some games are definitely not for eight-year-olds um, 12 year olds. Um, it's the kinds of thinking that you're doing and you can develop some of those skills early ish. We always want to develop the offline skills to begin with. And again, if you think about the brain, it develops from the back up and over through the middle to the front that we don't want to jump into the cognitive brain too quickly because then we miss case skills that happen here, like proprioception and learning to climb and kick and all of those things you need to do in real life versus online. So we want to sort of, uh, build them all together. Um, it's a very contextual question, I guess, um, around what other things you're doing in your life. Um, yeah.
3: I think it's going to be really game specific as well. We haven't really talked about game design mechanics and, you know, if I was to simplify it, you know, there's games that are built around engagement, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's some games that are built around compulsive sort of habits. Like let's just play this because there's a variable reward coming up and some games combine the two. Um, Generally, with esports, we're talking about fully engaging games like Rocket League. It's not about randomness. It's about we're playing car soccer, guys. You better be in this, you know. Um, but but like in, in terms of um, how young, um, I, I keep young kids away from games that are compulsive in their nature, if that makes sense. And yeah, the age ratings are there for a reason. What I'd like to see, and I don't know if anybody's working on this, is another rating that's like how how much... Um, I guess, how much of a compulsive nature is there in this design? Like how much does this condition people to play habitually?
4: So nutritional you know? labels for apps and games, <laughs> kind of like digital nutrition um, around like, um, and that comes down to the ethics of design and the transparency of design. So how much of a particular thing is being used in this game and the, how's that's going to prey again on a vulnerable brain. If you're talking about an 18 year old, well, you know, go for it, but we're looking at, at young people and parents really understanding the impact on developing brains. That's something that when, you know, you're never going to be able to or it's going to be much more difficult to reprogram regardless of how much plasticity people claim brains have. There's a certain, you know, operating system that we're stuck with. Cool. We'll try to get these last couple of questions in. Yep.
5: Uh, so I'm a, a player and commentator for a couple of games uh, uh, just, and you know, I've been playing since about 13. I'm 17 now. Uh, in terms of specifically uh Rocket League and League of Legends uh what do you think the pathway is like and where it leads uh, in terms of a in terms of commentary into the likes of those um so you, from a comment, like being a shoutcaster or a commentator uh, yeah. yeah so i think um the first thing to do um depending on what you've already done it's there's a lot of like you know ocal uh, in league of legends specific ocal tournaments um like amateur amateur tournaments so um it would be like starting there getting a lot of like re- recordings and cuz like you can record your sessions um and like honing like honing that craft cuz th- th- it's a skill um and and doing that for as long as you're comfortable and then you can always just reach out to um like specifically riot games with th- with your vods um, send it to them and, and ask for feedback and they'll often give you feedback but you, you can also like apply for the OCS job or apply for the OPL job but I guess the thing that you're lucky with is like all those an- amateur tournaments you can be doing all of them with your time right and like you can be rec- like taking recordings and and when you're happy with where you're at it's like yeah almost like just sending those as a hey I'm interested in being a, a commentator Um yeah I, I hope that answered yep.
2: We are well out of time, unfortunately. Um, But can we please thank the panel, Andrew, Jocelyn and Brandon? Uh, I'm Seamus burn and uh, we can talk outside if you want to keep talking. Thank you once again to my fabulous panel from PAX Australia 2019, Jocelyn Brewer, Brandon Defina, and Andrew Kinch. Uh, I will link up all of their Twitter handles uh, in the show notes so you'll be able to reach out to them if you do have any other follow-ups or questions or just want to tell them how amazing they are and, and all their incredible thoughts uh, that they shared in the panel. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Seamus. You can follow the network uh, of podcasts via at Byteside. I also curate a lot of links to interesting tech and games things. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter at biteside.com and catch any other little articles that we put up there. But there'll be lots more coming in coming months. Subscribe to this show and any of the other shows through your favorite podcast apps or through Spotify. Until next time, keep enjoying your games and remember to keep it balanced just like our fabulous panel just pointed out. Catch you next time.